Well, the sermon title is, is Grace Enough? And I think we just answered that question. All right, I'll go. Yeah, the, uh, the, the theme is just that, 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 that grace is enough. You know, the, the, the greatest compliment I received as a preacher was not that long ago when someone said to me, you can find grace in any passage of the Bible. And I said, oh, yes, that's, that's awesome. That's what I want to do. I believe that's what's there. And I believe that grace is enough. And if I can communicate that, that's wonderful. And, and, and I realized, you know what, I, I need to not only communicate it, but I need more grace <laughs> in my life that I can't, I can't rest, that grace is enough. Grace is everything. And as we turn to Jonah chapter 4 today, we, we wrap up this series in the book of Jonah. It ends with just that note that, that grace is enough. Jonah 4, 1 to 11. The, the Lord is inviting Jonah, the angry prophet, to, to embrace his grace because it will unlock compassion. It, it, it undoes criticism. It, it is the opposite of condemnation. It is the grace of God through this angry prophet, <laughs> offered to this angry prophet from a gracious God who asks questions from a gracious God whose grace is already making waves in your life. And he asks you to just open your eyes to see it, to open your heart to believe it, because grace is enough. Would you read with me Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. This is God's word. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? And Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. He made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head <clears throat> to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. And when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. And God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And the Lord said, 
You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left hand, as well as many animals? This is God's gracious word. Father, would you meet us here today? Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time. Open us up to your grace to realize it is enough. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I really do, I firmly believe that, that grace is, is the key to, to unlocking life as you really want to have it, as God really wants you to have it. I've experienced grace so profoundly in, in my own life and was blessed to, to be trained in a seminary that emphasized God's grace and worked very hard to teach us how to find God's grace on every page of the scriptures. And, and that's what I want to communicate. It's, it's really, when I do that, what I want to embrace myself. Because I really do believe it is enough. And sometimes in looking at God's word, you know, it's, it's harder to find that grace. You have to make a little more effort and, and look a little more closely and, and, and maybe more broadly but really, that's not a problem with the book. That's a problem with me. And as we struggle to embrace grace in so many parts of our lives, as we, as we condemn others, as we judge them, as we lack love, as we focus on ourselves, the problem is, is not in the book. The problem is in our hearts. And, and the solution, as we'll see today, is, is God's grace. It is really that simple. It is grace that, that unlocks compassion. It is grace that puts off condemnation. It is grace that overcomes criticism. And it is grace that, that douses anger, the heat that rises up. And that's, that's how we're going to approach this passage in particular because that's the issue that Jonah seems to have, that he is angry. And so as we look at this passage, uh, I want you to see the grace is enough. It's everything. And we have a hard time with it. And that often comes out as anger. Jonah will show us that here. And the, and the first question to ask, really, and the question that God asked Jonah is, what is the problem? What is the problem? It's a great question to ask yourself when you are angry. It's, in fact, the question to ask when you're angry. The Lord asks Jonah, what is the problem? You see, verse 4, he says, do you have a good reason to be angry? What is it that you're angry about, Jonah? What is the problem? He says the same thing except about the plant in verse 9. Do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? Jonah, why are you angry? What's going on? Literally there when he says, uh, do you have a good reason? He's saying, do you do well to be angry? With the sense of, are you doing the right thing to be angry? And the answer to that can be yes. 
Don't, don't make that mistake. The, the scriptures do say, and we talked about this in the last couple of years from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, that, that is, you can be angry and not sin. So it's not a, a blanket condemnation of anger. You can do anger well. It's really hard. It's super challenging. But God's question here is, is it right for you to be angry? What is the problem? Because really what anger is all about is you experience or, or become aware of a situation where something is just not right by your definition in an area that you really care about at the moment. Right? Anger is about seeing something as wrong and you care enough about it that it affects you. That's, in essence, what's going on with anger. Anger is in the broad spectrum of fight or flight responses to situations, right? Anger is on the fight side. Anger is a fight response rather than flight. And the question then you could frame it this way is, what are you fighting? What's the problem? What are you wanting to attack? Someone has categorized anger in four different categories, uh, frustrations, irritations, abuse, and unfairness. But those are really just kind of labels uh, for various problems that cover several umbrellas. And the, the question is, when you're angry, what, what is the problem? What is it that you're really angry about? What is the problem? Because the purpose of anger is to fight problems, to resolve what is not right, to fix it, right? The, the anger is meant to move you as every emotion does, right? Emotions are about moving you. You have a physiological, you know, bodily response that is emotions, and that is what emotions do. So when you're afraid, right, you can instantaneously have your heart rate, boom, really ramp up. Your pupils will dilate so you can see. Your muscles will tense. Your heart rate starts faster. Adrenaline starts pumping. All of these chemical things happening in an instant so that you can respond. The same thing with anger. Right? Have you ever lost control when you're angry and started saying things and doing things and hitting things and breaking things and yelling things and saying things that you... We're like, that's not me. You know, that happens. Every emotion can do that to us, right? Emotions move us. And as we look at Jonah, what's his emotion of anger here doing? What's the, the problem that he's trying to attack? What's he wanting to solve? What makes him angry? Look at verse 1. It greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. What, what is it? You've got to go back to the end of chapter 4, right? What it is, is that God relented of his anger and his judgment upon Nineveh. That's where the end of, of chapter 3 left off, right? When God saw, verse 10, chapter 3, that they, the city of Nineveh, turned from their wicked ways, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he didn't do it. Yet 40 days in Nineveh would be overturned. They turned and God turned, right? And Jonah, it says, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it greatly displeased 
Jonah. And literally, it was, it was bad with badness. It was greatly bad with badness to Jonah. The language just piles up similar meaning words to emphasize it's really, really bad in Jonah's eyes. And it made him angry. Uh, the word for anger there is uh, related to kindling a fire. It's about burning. It's about heat. And I don't know about you, but that, that, that makes sense of anger. Do you not usually feel flushed and f- on fire? You know, you're, you're glowing. And <clears throat> not with the Shekinah glory of God like Moses was. You're glowing with the inner fire, right? When you get angry. That's the sense here of anger. There's another word for anger that happens a lot and has to do with nostril flaring, you know? It's literally the word for nose, and it's, the idea is, you know? You ever have that expression? Your eyes get wide, your nostrils flare. This is not this word. This is more preliminary, actually. This word tends to be used at the kindling phase of anger. And in fact, in some places it says, this word with the other word for anger, saying, you know, the Lord's anger was kindled. This is, is, his nostril flaring anger was lit and started to burn. You know, and it's use of God and of people. This sense of anger, of looking at something that's not right and wanting it to change. Wanting it to be different. And that's Jonah's situation here, right? So Jonah is angry that God spared Nineveh. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord. You might say, please, Lord, you know. Or or, now, Lord, maybe finger pointing. that, that, That little word, please, could mean a bunch of different things along those lines. Was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall all this, to put it off, to just make it not happen, I fled to Tarshish. This is, here we are at the end of the book, and we're finally finding out why Jonah fled back at the beginning of the book. You remember it didn't tell us. It just said, God said, go to Nineveh, and Jonah said, I'm going somewhere else. But apparently, Jonah had a conversation with God that doesn't get recorded in Jonah, where he said, I'm, I'm, I'm not going. This is why I'm leaving. This is what I said while I was still back in my own country. I'm going the other direction, Lord. Because he's frustrated with God. Jonah's fleeing back in chapter 1 because he's frustrated with God. In fact, he has a problem with God's character. You know, and here in his anger, this is another aspect of emotions when they get high, right? Our rational thinking decreases. That's why... Uh, Very often young people, you know, before their rational thinking fully matures, they make impulsive decisions, right? That's just not fully developed and you get all the the emotions coursing through the body and we just do things. It happens to all of us, no matter what our age. As emotions rise, you know, as the blood starts pumping to your heart to get you to move or, or it gets you excited, right? Where's the blood not going? To your brain. Right? There is literally less blood going to your brain when you are in an emotional state than there is any other time. That's why it's so important to not make big decisions when you're feeling overwhelmed emotionally. You know, if you lose your spouse, don't make decisions 
life-altering decisions. Don't decide what to do with their clothes. Don't decide what to do about the house or where you're going to live in those initial moments. When you're angry, avoid making those decisions like I'm never going to speak to you again and saying things. You know, those, those, those are the things that are going on. We're not thinking rationally. And Jonah is clearly not thinking rationally. Do you realize he's angry with God because God is gracious? This is the guy who knew he had done wrong and deserved to die and said, throw me off of the boat because God kept sending storms and making it harder and harder so he'd realize he needs to go a different direction. He says, throw me off the boat. Basically, I need to die. And God says, rather than kill you, I'm going to bring miraculously this giant fish that will swallow you, Jonah. And Jonah there in the belly of the fish realizes how stupid he was and asks, almost asks for forgiveness, but recognizes God's grace that he gets to live and he gets vomited up on the shore and heads back on the right track. This guy's now angry about God's grace. That God is going to forgive these people. Those people. That's just a sign of just not thinking clearly at all. And what happens is, very often when we get angry, rather than try to solve the problem, we fight the people. Right? People are rarely the problem. When we fight the people, we, we never win. No one wins. Right? If, if, you're, if you're married, or even in a friendship, and there's a problem, you know, be careful how you define the problem. And what Jonah does here is he goes the criticism route. And, and he attempts to assassinate God's character, right? You, God, you're just gracious. You know, I don't, you ever had a fight? Have you ever used that in, in a fight with your spouse? Or <laughs> You're too gracious. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. You know you're compassionate. You're so long-suffering and patient. What's wrong with you? You forgive me. You forgive them. You know, like that. You know, there's just something wrong, but that's where we go. Very often, right? We, we attack the person, and they're not really the problem. What's the, what's the problem? What's the problem here, really? Jonah is mad because God is relenting of his wrath upon Nineveh, that he's being gracious to them, and it seems like he probably thinks they deserve to be punished. Right? That's not a far leap. Right? They're, they're bad people. They were doing wicked things. At the same time, he's not realizing he's benefited from that same grace. Has he not? That God didn't strike him down. That God did not immediately just pull him right out of the sea and throw him into hell. But he's experiencing the grace of God dramatically, miraculously, multiple times. Every breath that he takes at this moment is God's grace. And on top of that, God's coming and asking questions. God's coming alongside of him and bearing patiently with him. There's grace in that. And Jonah is just missing it again and again and again. It was very much like uh, Pastor David and I didn't talk about it. It's totally God's providence in this situation, right? God leading, which he always does, right? Um, but that, that Pastor Dave used that passage on the, the parable of the lost sons, the, that that older son was angry about the grace of the father that would celebrate the return of the other son. You know, there is just this, 
this utter brokenness. That in fact, in that passage, the older son, when he comes home and he hears all the dancing and the singing, and he asks the servant what's going on, they said, your brother has come. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received from him back safe and sound. Luke 15, verse 28. Then the, the son responds, he became angry, was not willing to go in. His father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, which is, is in the Greek there, but it's essentially the same idea of what Jonah says. Please to the Lord, right? Please, Lord. The, young, the older son says to his father, look. Look, so many years I've been serving for you. I've never neglected a command of yours. And you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. This son of yours, he comes, devoured your wealth with prostitutes, killed the fatted calf for him. He says, son, all I've had has always been yours. Come and celebrate. You know, there's a total lack of understanding of the grace of God. It's, it's a parallel with Jonah. Except rather than the father in a parable and the older son in the parable, this is God interacting with Jonah. And it's a, a warning to us, too, that you know, Jonah was a good person. Jonah was a prophet. Jonah had been used of God in mighty ways to predict the expansion of the northern kingdom of Israel. And it had come about. And he also had this problem with God's grace to other people. And it's very often a problem among religious people. It was one of the biggest things that Jesus kept hammering. He was not hard on sinners. He was gracious to prostitutes and tax collectors and other messed up people, adulterers. And he was hard on religious people that lacked grace, that lacked compassion. And it's interesting that Jonah would appeal to God's character and blame him for being a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Because it says that Jonah knows God well enough. And in fact, Jonah knows Scripture well enough because he's essentially quoting Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, which he's also not remembering the context of or purposefully suppressing that truth because that happens, Exodus 34 happens when, when Moses received the law, the Ten Commandments, he goes up on Mount Sinai and he gets the two tablets that God writes the Ten Commandments on, right? Moses is coming back down the mountain, right? And he hears all the, the revelry. And jo Joshua's like, oh, there's a sound of war in the camp. And, and Moses is like, that ain't war. And they get there and it's people worshiping a golden calf. Because they didn't understand why Moses was gone so long. Like 40 days. Ah! They decide they need another God. They decide they need some other object to worship. And Moses, in his anger, throws the Ten Commandments on the ground, just breaks them in pieces, right? Then he goes back up. And he pleads with the Lord for forgiveness for the people. And he says, Lord, don't, don't, don't send us if you're not going to go with us. 
And can I know who you are? You said you've been gracious to me and shown your favor to me. Tell me who you are. Let me see you. And, and God in his grace says, no, I'm not going to show you who I am. I'll hide you in the cleft of a rock and I'll pass by and I will declare my name to you. And what does he say his name is? He says this. The Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in covenant faithfulness or loving kindness, the one who relents concerning calamity. It also says he is the one who has mercy on thousands who trust in him and will not clear the guilty. That's who he is. And you, you, you can't have part of that without the whole and you can't have it without that context of this is a God of grace and mercy. And that theme, you know, this is explicitly there in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, the first time God reveals himself in that way and speaks so clearly of who he is, divulging his own character and declaring for himself, this is who I am. Grace and compassion, loving kindness. Yes, I'm also just, he says. I will by no means clear the guilty. But he spends a lot more time on the grace and compassion. We've got to have both of those things together. That's the character of God, that he is at the same time all of those things. And we take them apart to look at them. We've got to dissect them individually because our puny little brains can't comprehend it all. But we've got to remember that it's all together. It's a package. This is who God is. And it doesn't just show up there in Exodus 34. Then we see the same themes. The, the same language appears in the book of Numbers. It appears in the book of the Chronicles. It appears throughout the Psalms. It appears in the book of Nehemiah. It appears in the later prophets, not just Jonah. It's also in the book of Joel. And it's throughout the whole Scriptures, the whole Old Testament. It's even quoted in the New Testament. That this is who God is. And it ought to be wonderful to us. That God has said, this is who I am. And he's repeated it again and again. He says, I'm not going to change. I'm always going to be the gracious and compassionate and long-suffering God. This is who I am, God says. And he says it to people who were incredibly stubborn and resistant and rebellious. He had just freed them from a life of slavery. And he led them out dramatically by plague after plague, judgment after judgment upon the, the people of Egypt. But spared his own people, brings them out, delivers them, feeds them with manna in the wilderness. Appears on the, on the mound of Sinai in fire. And they wander away and God chooses to reveal himself and say his character is one of grace and compassion and loving kindness and who relents concerning calamity. And all you have to do is trust him, which then becomes the real problem. And I think that nails the problem. But before we get to the solution, just notice that, that God comes near with the question at that point, not condemnation. And he asked Jonah to think about it. Do you have a good reason to be angry? And before we hit the solution, I just want you to, to briefly recognize that, you know, when you're angry or when, when there's, especially anger, but anything going on like that, when, when you're in a bad place, right, the, the thing to watch out for is the pattern. And you see it with Jonah with these mood swings and, and little things, wide changes in emotion that come, ironically, from a narrow perspective. If you're only focusing narrowly, you're, you're going to be 
blown all about. It is only as we open our eyes, as our perspective enlarges, as it goes beyond our own skin and our own interests into looking at other people and into including the God of heaven and earth, it's only when we get that frame of reference. It's only when we bring, actively bring that perspective into our minds and our consideration and our thoughts, our processes and how we make decisions. It's only when we get that broad perspective that we, that we have grace, that we can extend it. But what Jonah has is a really narrow perspective, and it causes him to flip all over the place, right? Verse 5, Jonah went out from the city. You know, God asked him, why are you angry? Do you have a good reason to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer. He goes out from the city, sat east of it, made a shelter for himself, sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen. Clearly, there's no trees around, nothing around. He just kind of makes some kind of makeshift shelter, a tent from the desert heat, most likely. You know, this is in, uh, in an area of... Uh, I think Iraq, Iran, up that way, uh, near the Euphrates River, uh, not far from Mosul nowadays. And he's sitting out there in the, in the desert, in the sun. But then something happens, and Jonah gets happy. Verse 6, the Lord appointed a plant. It grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head and deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plan. It's the same kind of language repetition using multiple of the similar words to say he's really, really happy. He's greatly happy with the happiness. And the happy there uh, has a sense of, of joy, mirth, high spirits, even, you know, laughter. And I think maybe for Jonah, since he was so grumpy, that was probably just a smile. I don't know. Right? I can't picture Jonah jumping around. Right? So he probably got like a smile. Maybe his corner of his mouth twitched, right? You know? But he was, he was it's characterized as extremely happy. But that didn't last. Verse 7. God appointed a worm. When dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. We don't know what the plant is. There's lots of theories about that. There are some plants that pop up pretty quickly. There does seem to be, with God appointing this and appointing that, a bit of supernatural activity. So, you know, it's fruitless to try to find out what plant exactly this was and prove that it could have happened or whatever. God's at work here. And so God has this plant pop up, apparently with enough leaves and, and shade and, and growing up fast that it brings him shade. But then God appoints a worm, tiny little worm, probably in the roots, eating on those so that when dawn came, the plant, when the sun hit it, started to wither. And then God appoints a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head. He became faint. He begged all his strength, soul, mind, whatever, saying death is better to me than life. You see the pattern. Jonah's extremely angry and displeased about what happened with Nineveh. A good thing happens, and he gets extremely happy. And then a bad thing happens, and now he's extremely angry again. So angry, he just can't even imagine living in a world where Nineveh is spared and where his precious plant dies. Right? That's how angry he is. I think that's the way to take this language. He's so, he just, he's blown a gasket. He, he cannot think. It's when you just lose it, and you're like, I can't even like, and you don't even know what to say. You don't know what the even is, you know. I can't even. By the way, it's not helpful to say, well, can you odd at that point? <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. That's, that's not funny. Uh, yeah, pro tip. Um, but, you know, you're, you're just losing it. Overwhelmed. Jonah's just like, I, I really, I cannot 
I cannot fathom going on in a world like this. And we can kind of laugh at that. We kind of stand back and like just see how silly that is. But you know you've been in that situation too, right? I mean, small things are just crushing. I mean, think about, like, for those of us who are older and not too old to, to have forgotten already, but think about being a teenager, right? You know, you didn't get invited to the party. Or nowadays, maybe, you know, somebody just posts something on, on, on social media or whatever, and it's just devastating. Ten years from now, you're probably not going to care. You know, there are children killing themselves because of what other children say online. You know, it's, it's, and it's, there's such small things, but they become so huge. And Jonah here is showing us why that happens. And it's, and it's clearly because it's really hard to make sense of the world if, if you're only focused on yourself. You, you, you can't understand what's happening. If, if your only focus is what's happening to me with this or that or that or the other thing, right? You can't make sense of it because it's just devastating to you. And that's your sum total of experience. You don't recognize maybe that other thing is good for other people, like 120,000 people being saved. Maybe that's a little more important, Jonah, than just how you feel about it. And Jonah, maybe you, you could realize you've experienced the same grace. Connect the dots. But that's not where we're at, right? And that's not where you go if your frame of reference is just this big. If this is all I'm thinking about, my only experience in the world is... How is it impacting me? And so, you know, an elevated, a heightened view of that is to say, well, I should consider other people, right? And you can do that in your own strength sometimes and think, well, you know, we could talk about the greater good and how we might sacrifice for others, you know, and, and just have some kind of idealism. But that's not going to last either, right? Because you'll be unappreciated. No one will thank you sufficiently enough and, and understand how great your deed was. What you need to do is go even beyond that and recognize, you know, that it's not just you. It's not just other people. But in fact, there's a God of heaven and earth who has made you, made them, is at work in everything, even down to appointing tiny little worms and scorching east winds, and by the way, providing this plant for a season, and oh, by the way, the same one who sent storms to, to impact your life, and then who made it seem like it's all going to end, but now provides miraculously a fish that then miraculously just carries you through while you're inside of it, and you get to live, and you get vomited out on the shore, and you start to do good, and you accomplish something, even as broken as you are, God uses you to bring about wonderful things, like that perspective. That perspective is the only thing that's going to carry you. And you know, as I meet people here in our congregation and, and even, you know, in the broader community here, you know, the people that weather really hard things tend to be those who maybe through those things or before those things happen had a bigger picture of you, right? And maybe it's, you know, I, I'm doing this for my family, you know, and so they sacrifice they travel to a foreign country to establish a beachhead and bring their family over. Uh, maybe it's suffering through just wars and violence and making it through to a better place. You know, with a, with a higher purpose. And brothers and sisters, you, you're, you're never going to find that higher purpose if you're looking within. 
or only understanding and looking at how everything's impacting you, that's never going to get you to a higher purpose, to a better place. And that's what God wants for you. And you're actually only going to understand that as you experience the grace of God. The grace of a God who reaches out. Grace of a God who, who, who had everything he needed before anything was created. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling in perfect harmony together. They needed nothing. Absolutely nothing. Content in that relationship among the Trinity. That Just think about that. And they chose to create humanity and allow that humanity to go its own way that then they might what? Work their plan to demonstrate their grace to save them. That they would say, the Father would send the Son to come and dwell among us, to teach us, to live for us, to die for us, to bear our sin on the cross, to pay the full penalty for it, and offer it to us freely. That's, that's the grace of God at, at work here. That it's a God who reaches out, who is selfless. You know, there's, there's, a, there's so many ironies and, and twists of fate in the book of Jonah. I think this is one of the most profound. <laughs> that Jonah, Jonah doesn't want to keep living in a, in a world where God is gracious to those people and he's so frustrated because he realizes God is not going to change. Really, I think that's his, his sense of hopelessness, right? God is not going to change. God, God's going to be God. And he's, the irony is what? That he's a God of grace and compassion. And mercy, he's long-suffering and patient. He relents of, of, of calamity, of bringing judgment. Like, Jonah's angry about that. And it's the way that Jonah's going to find his way out from it, too. To embrace that that's who God is. Even in the midst of all of your brokenness and your sin and your, your judgmental attitude towards others, that, 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 that God's grace is enough. No matter where you are, it's enough that God himself offers that grace to you. And really what it's about, and, and one of the videos we watched yesterday at the Share Your Faith conference made this click for me, that it's essentially an attitude, brothers and sisters. It's, there's a decision in that. And, and I think it's not stretching things too far to say that grace really is an attitude. It's God's disposition. Uh, attitude, I looked it up in the dictionary, is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something, typically one that is reflected in a person's behavior. If you will take the attitude of grace, what, what might that look like? I realize today, like there are some things in my life that I experience and, and on reflection, I'm like, you know, this is going to happen. I'm walking into a situation where I'm likely to be really irritated and frustrated. And I don't want to be that person. This, literally just this morning, I was uh, walking up the stairs 
right there, those stairs right there. And thinking about some things that had bothered me and that I was likely to encounter. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. That might happen. What am I going to do? How about if I decide right now to be gracious? How about if I decide right now, Lord, I need help? And my attitude right now is not great. And I'm thankful that you brought that to my mind. And I'm cautiously optimistic. Maybe I won't be as irritable. You know, in that moment. Like, so here's one of the things, right? As you, as you wrestle with anger, say. And you're not gonna, it's not going to happen in the moment. Don't hear me saying that. In fact, research has said, you know what? When you're having a fight or an argument, you're really angry, it's really completely unproductive, probably more harmful than good to continue talking about it. And so maybe if you have people that you're angry with, like a spouse, where it happens in cycles, right? To have an agreement where, you know what? I can just take a break. You can take a break. And, and literally set an alarm to say, we're going to talk about this, but I just, I'm not, I'm, I'm shoo, you know, vapor lock and brain's not working. I'm just, you know, evil in here in my head. So set an alarm and it's, it's like 11 minutes or something like that. Where if you just go apart and not dwell on it, don't sit there going, I know what I should have said. That's what I'm going to say, yeah. And then I'm, she said that, I'm going to say this. And that, no, it's like, do something else, you know? Uh, play a stupid game on your phone or, or read something silly. Take your mind off of it. Let your body adjust and the chemicals decrease and then reflect on what's my problem? What am I really upset about? And resolve in that moment, you know, I'm going to go with an attitude of grace. I'm going to believe the best. I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to be faithful. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to engage and it's going to be hard, but I believe that's who God is and that's what he's going to offer to me in the moment. You could, pull, you could apply that in so many ways. You could apply that not just to anger, you could apply that to fear. And a number of folks yesterday at the Share Your Faith workshop were, were inwardly and confessed later uh, to, the, to the group struggling with fear. You know, I don't know uh, what to say. I'm concerned about, you know, messing up a relationship, you know. And, and like the fear can be debilitating. And to think about what is my problem? What am I afraid of? You know, what am I angry about? You know, it's sometimes it's helpful to say, you know, what am I happy about? Well, <laughs> one of my friends once said that he was typing up an email uh, about a problem and somebody had really irritated him and he's typing up the email and he's like really happy. It's like, oh yeah, oh, well, that's going to get him. Yes, yes. Oh yeah, that's a good zinger right there. Oh, they're going to be begging for murders. And he's like... And all of a sudden, the Lord convicted me. He's like, wait a minute, wait, wait, I'm a little too happy <laughs> at how I'm correcting this person in an email. Like maybe I should set it aside and come back, you know? Be, be alert sometimes because, you know, heart leads us astray. Any of those kind of emotions and, and things that we're dealing with. So what, what, is, what is the problem? What's the, the joy here? What's, what's going on? And I want to just, I, I want to leave you with with a, with a definition of grace 
that I think really fits this passage. And it was actually in the song. I started smiling the song right before the sermon um, about God's grace reaching out uh, to us because that's what I had in my notes. You, have you heard the, the, the idea that grace is, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E, you know, God's riches at Christ's expense, right? That's a good definition of grace. And I was going to tweak it today, and I still am, to say, you know what grace is? is God reaching at Christ's expense. You know, it's not just that his, re- his riches are available. It's even more important that God is reaching out to you. God is reaching out. That is the definition of of His grace to us that that He does. He reaches out. He asks questions. He offers His presence. He is with you even in the hard circumstances. He's the one who appoints the, 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 um, the plant to bring the shade and the worm to destroy it. That you might reach out to Him as He's reaching out to you. That He might be the good Father running to embrace his son as the son is coming toward him as the hard-hearted son was. That he would be the God who's dealing with Jonah and asking those questions. And the, and the book ends with God's appeal to compassion. And it ends with that question, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? And that question is not just for Jonah, right? It's open-ended. It's for you and I. Should God not have compassion on who he has compassion? Should we not embrace that and adopt the same attitude because he has had compassion on us? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your word, for your grace reaching out to us. Lord, open our eyes to that more and more. Lord, give us, give us a, a discernment that we might know our right hand from our left hand in those situations that might cause us to respond poorly. Give us the attitude, Lord, a commitment to grace, to patience, long-suffering, to compassion, to be slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness or, or faithfulness. We might be forgiving. And we trust, Lord, you'll do that because you've reached out to us through Jesus. And we are trusting in him. In Jesus' name, amen.